The Cambie Report was produced and recorded on the traditional and unceded lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Quequitlam peoples. September 2nd, 2022, and there are 43 days left until the Vancouver municipal elections. This is the Camby Report. I'm Matthew Naylor. And I'm Ian Bushfield. Good Friday, Matthew. How are you? Oh, fantastic. It's, well, it's a bunch of bad news today. No big news, just bad news. Did you have a good Alberta day yesterday? I... I had a hilarious Alberta day because I got to see the spectacle of the lieutenant governor declaring that she would use reservation and disallowance to throw out the Sovereignty Act. Oh, man, an Alberta politics podcast would be simultaneously very fun to do, but very depressing. But we're here to talk about Metro Vancouver politics and all the environs. And how do we do that? We... Do it with your support, dear listeners, and you can support us by going to patreon.com slash report. Yes, sign up at patreon.com slash report. We'll throw you in the Slack channel where you can chat about all of the fun things and exacerbating, exhausting things. We can talk Alberta politics there if you want, dear listeners. We can talk about anything you please, but we cannot do it without your help. Patreon.com slash report. Thank you so much for your continuing support. It is quite an election. People are bouncing all over the place, sliding north and south and east and west on our political chart. Yes. One of the things our patrons got to preview already is I'm launching another series of our where do these poli- where do these political parties sit on the ideological spectrums that we have developed over the years. In 2018, we did this as a little bit of an exercise to try to figure out how would you categorize the difference between all of the parties then, and oh, how naive we were to think 2018 was a chaotic mess of an election. There are just more parties now, and they're even harder to distinguish. So if you go to our Twitter profile at Canby Report on Twitter, pinned there should be a tweet taking you to a Google form. You can do a little survey trying to categorize the parties based on your vibes of them, or maybe you can click through and look at their platforms and try and do it a little more methodologically. Our goal is just to get enough responses that they average out to the collective wisdom of our patrons, our Twitter followers, and anyone else who follows Vancouver politics. It worked pretty well last time. We're hoping it turns out just as well this time. Yes. One party that is sliding drastically to the right is the NPA with their new mayoral candidate, Fred Harding. Yeah, we've been talking about Fred for a few weeks now because it's been the speculation that he would be announced and then there was like the small chance they would have come to their senses. But nope, they have announced that the guy who came in, I don't even remember, six, seven, last time with a handful of votes is the guy they should pick to lead their new tough on crime campaign. They are the party of safety. And anti-Soji politics. It was funny. One of the tweets they put up to announce him was like, we're pleased to announce our new mayoral candidate, Fred Harding. Vancouver is no longer safe. (laughs) (laughs) It went on to try to defend that he would make it safe, but just the juxtaposition there. Yeah, that's 
Mm, chef's kiss. Amazing. But you referenced his past Soji politics. What are his thoughts, Matthew? He thinks that Vancouver's general oeuvre of being nice to gay people and people of differing gender identities is a bad idea. And it's hurting our kids. It's weird, right? Because he basically is being highlighted for comments he made back in the 2018 campaign. He had argued that he's not against queer candidates or inclusive schools, but he was wondering if like the sexual orientation and gender identity policies of the Vancouver school board, the SOGI policies were going too far uh, and that they were, and the curriculum quote, got it all wrong. And they were opposed to the high handed rollout and would advocate on behalf of parents who felt alienated it by it. In other words, the homophobes and the transphobes. And yeah, so this is, it's just frustrating to see. I'm not surprised to see the board of the MPA choosing Fred Harding, given their particular past politics. But it is still disheartening to see Vancouver's oldest political institution slide into this reactionary, like social reactionary band. Yeah, Drex, who's the DJ for Jack FM, Jack 96.9, has been going hard on this on Twitter. He is wildly mad that the NPA would pick who he calls a homophobe in all caps, and I have no problem sharing that position as Drex. Former NPA president and city councillor Tung Chan said he is extremely disappointed by this and that they had to, quote, go to the bottom of the barrel to find such a woefully unqualified person as their mayoral candidate. The real thing here is they've had a few days and they've known this was going to come up. They clearly don't care. There's no response from the NPA that I've seen. There's no response from Fred Harding to say, oh, my views have changed. Like, they're not even trying to distance themselves from it. They're just owning it, it seems. No, because it's what they believe. Like, this is their politics. They've chosen their candidate. And to be clear, this is the... This is, like, the policies that Fred Harding was opposed to in the last election were policies that were designed to protect every student from bullying and discrimination, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. It wasn't like, I can't even imagine what you're opposed to. Like, I, it's bananas. And to be clear, this is a cross-partisan support issue in BC. Christy Clark was the one who required all public and private schools to have such policies. And it's been enhanced and built upon by the NDP since they became government. Like, there's a for very small fringe only who are against this in bank in BC yes. and in Vancouver, I have to assume it's even smaller. So you're yeah, chasing the bottom of the barrel for the most toxic reactionary shit out there. So apparently unrelated to this, the NPA has lost two park board candidates. Yeah, Trisha Barker, the incumbent, and Kumi Kimura have apparently been talking about leaving the NPA for a little while, and Barker says her announcement that she's no longer seeking a park board nomination with the NPA is unrelated, but both have joined team for a livable Vancouver. So this leaves only one incumbent running with the NPA. That would be profile and courage, Melissa DiGenova. It's just wild to think how far the NPA has shifted. Like, and how, like, they won a decent number of seats on all levels in the last election. Like, they didn't take park board. They didn't quite take school board, but they were close. They were in a strong position on council, but just the board's positions over the years. Yeah. They have the plurality on council. Like, they won the last election, arguably. 
Ken Sim was 900 votes from being mayor. Like all they needed to do was behave for four years and then just run the same campaign. And instead, their board just went unhinged and chased all of their team out. And now we have two parties have risen from the ashes there and picked up basically all of their incumbents. Yeah, it is a pretty seismic shift, actually, like considering how well they were positioned after the last campaign. Speaking of which, all these nominations, all this jumping around is going to come to an end relatively quickly. On September 9th, the Vancouver nomination deadline occurs. Everyone has to have their papers in, their nomination signed, and into City Hall by that Yeah, date. so we'll have a good sense. Probably not when we record next week, but slightly after that of who is going to be on the ballot in Vancouver. So I don't know that the deadline is, I believe the deadline is actually pretty similar across the region. But if you're planning to run for election, do check with your local municipality about when you need to sign up. But yeah, if you want to get your name on the ballot, get to your city hall. In ABC News, a better city of Vancouver has released their transparency policy. This, in all honesty, not a bad policy. Like, I'll go through like the specifics of it, but I just want to remind everyone that no matter how good their policy is, this is all coming part of a package with an absolutely disqualifying policy to hire 100 cops and 100, 100 nurses, which is like just an insane promise that they should have. Disavowed. I thought you were going to say the disqualifying thing was that they flip flopped on the park board abolition. Oh, yeah. Also, I don't think that's disqualifying. I just feel like the cops and nurses thing is so, like, blatantly beyond the pale. Like, a bunch of parties, a bunch of parties don't want to abolish the parks board, and I don't consider them disqualified. I think that defending this nonsense policy is something that no one who does that yeah. deserves accountability is always a strong thing to run on it's what really helped get stephen harper into office it's what brought down in part the christy clark government if you're running as an opposition saying we're going to be the party of transparency and accountability everyone likes to hear that so for abc and ken sim to start talking about that will play to their strengths it's something that has broad support no one's against transparency and accountability until they're elected until they're elected. So what exactly do they plan on doing? They're proposing a 50% reduction in freedom of information requests. The province, fees. I believe, set them at $10. I don't even remember. It was a controversial decision by the BC NDP to say you can have fees for FOIs. They set a number. Other levels of government can set lower numbers. My question here is why not just eliminate them? And then you can brag that you're better than John Horgan too at the same time. But I guess they're only running against Kennedy Stewart. Half off. So low bars to clear there. (laughs) They're also instituting greater whistleblower protections and asking BC to oversee a city lobbyist registry. Yeah, Kennedy Stewart was talking and I believe has gotten set up a lobbyist registry for the city. This was one of his campaign promises in the last election. Having that move to the provincial lobbyist registry could make a lot of sense in because the province has the infrastructure, it could be something that's scaled up to other municipalities. These are both reasonable cross-partisan positions to take. The only reason not to change it to the provinces is if the cities is working very well, and you just don't want to waste time moving it, but seems fine. 
They also promise, and this is, I think, the worst particular point in there, to ban city ads not directly related to public safety, community engagement, or legislative requirements. The argument here is that Ken Sim's trying to go after specific things that he thinks Kennedy Stewart has done to promote his re-election campaign using municipal resources. He can't cite anything specific because a lot of the mayor's ads are very easily described as relating to public safety, community engagement, or legislative requirements. And so the caveat there hobbles the ability of this policy to do anything. Now, the city should advertise public safety, community engagement, and legislative requirements yeah, but I also think that the city has a responsibility to do other stuff with its advertising budget. I don't think it's unreasonable for the city to promote things, and you do that with ads. Yeah, my city promotes its parks on its social media. Is That's not directly really related to any of those three things, but no one's really against the city being like, hey, we have parks, we have nice Beautiful, things. Beautiful, drinkable parks. Would this ban the city from running tourism ads? Seemingly. I think so, actually. So one of those ones that's more targeted at what you think the Europe opposition is doing. The other thing they want to do in here is publish line item budgets going back for five years and then make that the policy going forward. So rather than just getting broad budgets that are like, this much money is going to engineering and this much money is going to the libraries, we're going to break it down and know where all of the city's money is going. I, again, not a bad policy. It's going to be a lot of work uh, getting that kind of budget ready for public consumption, but I'm not opposed to more fiscal transparency. I would love to see it extend I to the would... Vancouver Police Department budget as well. <laughs> that would be amazing. Line item budgets all around. Everyone gets a line item budget. And finally, his last policy comes back to the mayor, and it's a restriction on mayoral staff from participating in partisan activities. This is the allegation that people like Alvin Singh in the mayor's department were doing too much work for Forward Vancouver and his re-election bid. Yeah, I think it's. I think this is sour grapes. It's just him whining about the fact that he lost and doesn't have the incumbency advantage. Like, I think this one can get traction and has some sympathy. It goes back to the discussion we had about them talking about the mayoral slush fund, uh, which is a vague and undefined kind of thing. But being mayor is an inherently political mm -hmm. job, especially in a weak mayor system. Being mayor is about leading. And I have expounded significantly on my opinion on whether I think Kenzie Stewart is able to do that particularly well. But I don't think he should be hampered in it any more than he currently is by his Self. Yeah, Vancouver's so interesting. We'll talk later about a number of incumbents in the Burbs who are running again, and their incumbency advantage is so much stronger. Like Vancouver has a robust political culture. It's why we're able to do a politics podcast on municipal politics, is because there actually is debate. Like here in Coquillum, the mayor's running again, and so he's going to win again. And in most mid sized and smaller towns, that's where potentially some of these restrictions could be more effective and finding ways to improve the ability of opposition candidates to come up and challenge incumbents in those smaller communities is something that I think the province almost needs to think more about because it's not healthy when someone's mayor for three decades. No, no, I mean, it's not. maybe they're a great mayor. <laughs> Establishing a personal fiefdom is just like bad. So overall, I think it's a strong 
tactic for Kensim to pivot to accountability and transparency. The policies themselves are fine. They vary in strength. But yeah, we'll see how much resonance he can pick up with that. Yes. In the latest sliver of good news that we have, it's not even good news. It's more of a reaction to bad news. Vancouver is appealing the ruling on SROs. So Kennedy Stewart has announced that the city intends to appeal ruling that quashed the vacancy control bylaw for SROs in the city. Uh, BC Supreme Court had found that it was beyond the powers or ultraviras of the city to do such a thing. Stewart is also going to be asking for a stay to record destruction order. Yeah, the court had said that all the data collected by the city from property owners has to be destroyed. And if they manage to keep the SRO bylaw alive, it would suck to have to recollect all of that data. It'll be interesting to see if the Court of Appeal takes this up and how they treat the arguments there and if they manage to reverse it. I know there was criticism of the SRO vacancy control bylaw from some quarters as being poorly written and possibly not the best targeted, particularly given the limits of the Local Government Act and the Vancouver Charter. But it's worth the fight, I think, to try to see, particularly with the situation that we're seeing in the city where SROs are some of the last housing of last resort and making sure people can continue to afford those until we have better options. It's important. It's Mm -hmm. essential. In other courts news, the Coquitlam by-election lawsuit has been quashed, thrown out, drowned in a battle. Yeah, this ruling came down a couple weeks ago, actually, and I just saw it in the local paper. Justice Fitzpatrick released the second part of their ruling. The first one initially said, I'm ruling on this too late, so there's no time anyway for you to hold a by-election, so I'm not going to order the city to hold a by-election in the summer before an October election. And now the second part says, I took so long that this the whole thing is pointless. Sorry. Oops. Specifically, the judge justice says it is now impractical to hold a by-election given the statutory imposed timelines that I alluded to above. To use the language in previous cases, the dispute may still be, quote, real and not theoretical, but the declaration sought would have, quote, no practical utility in resolving the issue in the case. It would be akin to saying, quote, I was right and you were wrong, which sometimes is valuable. Should be the case. Yeah. When you want no future cities to realize that the you need to hold a by-election if you have a vacancy before December 31st, that, oh, actually, that's a bit fuzzy. Maybe it's September 1st of the previous year, or just... Or maybe June. It just depends January. how busy the courts are. Yeah, basically. Coming out of this, no declaration was ordered, no costs were awarded either, and there is no fine being imposed on the city of Coquitlam. Yeah, Minister of Municipal Affairs Nathan Cullen was asked about this, and he said the Local Government Act doesn't give them any authority to slap their wrist in any way. He could have fired the whole council. I guess that's an authority that's in there somewhere. That, that would have been would extreme, be but they should have done that. if that's your only... No, they absolutely should have done that. Like, you can't decide, no... We're just not going to follow well, the law. Like the thing and- that ministers could have done at any point, like the city wrote to the minister and said, give us an order that we don't have to follow the law. And the s- province went, eh, we're not going to say anything uh-huh. either way. And so the city just didn't follow the law. And now the government's being asked, is there a penalty for not following And the law? so now the law doesn't exist. It effectively doesn't exist. The minister and the NDP in collaboration with the city of Coquitlam have effectively nullified this particular part of the law. 
sad days all around. The city of Coquitlam is also refusing to disclose how much they spent on this by-election, citing solicitor-client privilege. The big question here, and I think there's a couple of the people involved in the lawsuit are going to keep trying to push for this question, is did it cost them more to fight this lawsuit than the $200,000 they claimed it would have to hold the by-election? My guess would probably be no, it didn't, but still, they should have just held the election because it was the right thing to do. Yeah. The incumbents gave themselves a bonus advantage to not have a new voice on council. Speaking of new voices on council, like I previously alluded to, Richard Stewart has announced he is going to run again as mayor of Coquitlam. This is a little bit notable. He, in 2018, suggested he wasn't good, that was going to be his last kick at the can, but he wrote a lengthy Facebook post saying the pandemic changed everything, which fair enough. Stewart has been on Coquitlam Council since 2005. He ran for council after being unseated after one term as MLA for Coquitlam Mallardville. He lost by 500 votes. And in 2008, he ran as mayor and won and was reelected in 2011, 2014, and 2018. So Richard Stewart has been mayor for a long time. His last candidate rival was Adele Gamar, who won like 30, 35% of the vote. He's running again here. And as far as I can tell, his campaign is pure vibes. It's Coquitlam for everyone. And then no clue what that means other than I will be not Richard Stewart. So the fact that Richard Stewart is running again comes contrary to his listing on Google Maps, which lists him as permanently closed. (laughs) In his Facebook post, Stewart said he wanted to basically make sure he sees the redevelopment of the Riverview Hospital through to the end. That was the former mental institution along Lougheed Highway. It is now a partnership with the Coquitlam peoples and the First Nation there and is being renamed Samiquela, meaning the place of the Great Blue Heron. There's going to be new mental health facilities, reconciliation, and nature rehabilitation all at the core of that. So it's a really fascinating redevelopment that he can be proud of. Richard Stewart speaks openly that he's got mental health issues in his family, and that's why that is so important to him. But yeah, it'll be a moderately interesting campaign, as most of them are in the burbs, because incumbents win very easily. Speaking of, Richmond. Some new old candidates in Richmond, former Solicitor General Cash Heed and former City Councilor Derek Dang are running with Richmond Rise, presumably a earthquake awareness party, (laughs) the sixth party to declare in Richmond. Dang has previously been on council from 1996 to 2018, losing by only 97 votes in 2018. So clearly he has a lot of support there. Cash Heed was the former Solicitor General, as you mentioned, quite a notable figure in the BC Liberal candidate cabinet of Gordon Campbell. He left office or he left cabinet following a number of election allegations, misspending among them, and he refused to join Christy Clark government or run for her based on a difference in style. The party is running on public safety, housing, services for senior citizens, and governance. We want better governance. Who's against that? Yeah. there's. It's going to be a tough race. There's only one incumbent not running again. That's Harold Steves, who we've mentioned in the past. There are a lot of parties lined up in Richmond. There's one Richmond Right, R-I-T-E, Richmond Citizens Association, Richmond Community Coalition, and Richmond United. And I am once again asking local municipal political parties to come up with names that tell me what you actually believe. Credit to the socialists in Vancouver, 
and the greens. Everyone else, try harder. <laughs> Tell me what you actually think. Malcolm Brody, the mayor of Richmond, is running for re-election. He was first elected to council in 1996 and was elected mayor in 2001. He is the longest-serving Richmond mayor and is, I believe, the longest-serving mayor in Metro Vancouver. Yeah, don't maybe fact check us on that on Twitter. I didn't look too hard on that, listeners. Being mayor for 21 years and then running for four more is quite the goal. Malcolm Brody is already in his 70s, but apparently wants to die in office. <laughs> in other mayoral news, Rich Coleman is running in Wangley Township. We teased this before as it was a rumor, I believe, last week. It's official now. He has joined the Elevate Langley slate again, unless you are actually going to lift Langley Township higher to prevent future flooding. Elevate Richmond actually is a a reasonable position. Rise. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want Langley to flood again. True facts. Coleman, as we mentioned last time, it'll be wild to see what he runs on. (laughs) Flooded with cash from international business interests. (laughs) I'm just picturing the mayor's council... If everything goes a certain way and you have Rich Coleman, Doug McCallum, Colleen Hardwick, Brad West, Chuck Puckmeyer, all we'll know is no more Skytrains get built other than maybe to Newton and a lot of highways get real popular, I guess. It, it will be a hell. Like it would, It's just the worst possible outcome that we can imagine. Hopefully it will not come to pass. Rich Coleman is probably going to win and Colleen Hardwick has a decent chance of winning. Brad West is going to win. I feel like he's already won. Yeah. Doug McCallum, given the vote split, also might win. This isn't that far from Puckmeyer, I feel, is the long shot. It's more likely to be Patrick Johnstone there, which case I feel so good. But have fun with that, Patrick. Another person who will possibly get back onto the mayor's council is Mike Morton, who is announcing he is running for re-election in Maple Ridge. Justin McElroy profiles Maple Ridge in his latest Metro Matters newsletter that comes out every Friday afternoon. Go subscribe to that. Justin is the preeminent voice for political issues. I say that as someone who talks about politics a lot. Morton gave a special interview to McElroy, noting that he doesn't tend to give many interviews. Maple Ridge came up a few times in the past four years as their mayor and council has taken a very strident stance against uh, homelessness and crime. They've tried to evict tent encampments and re- also refused. Not against homelessness. Yeah. They've, they've taken a strong stance against homeless yes, people. Yes, good clarification. They've also, I believe, refused some of the affordable housing projects that the province has tried to put in Maple Ridge. And so there have been standoffs there. Also, the council has apparently not been the healthiest place. Two councillors, Gordy Robson and Kirsten Duncan, who were elected with Morden, have been have left his coalition. They have joined this A Better Maple Ridge party that is being led by former Liberal MP Dan Rumi, who is running for mayor. Those two councillors left Morden's team citing bullying allegations. One of those allegations led Robson to launch a court battle in December 2021, which only just settled yesterday. Basically, they had been stripped of their committee seats and some of their other privileges as the mayor and supportive counselors were using code of conduct violations. Robson alleged that he hadn't seen the reports that the other counselors used to censure him and wanted the court to rule the entire process invalid. But it seems like they 
were willing to back down after the lawsuit was filed and yeah, wanted it resolved before the election. Yes. Also running for mayor is uh, Carissa Bell, who was elected to council in 2011 and 2014. Uh they led the local Fight HST campaign. Yeah. So. This battle over censure in Maple Ridge reminds me a lot of the stuff we talked about with what's happening in Port Coquitlam. I think some of it's been seen in other municipalities, Port Moody and elsewhere. These mid-smaller sized municipalities are getting away with a lot and a lot of dirty stuff is happening. Hotbeds of bullshit. Like, there's been a focus and a call for better codes of conduct for municipal governments, better protections for counselors, more accountability, less use of in-camera meetings, like the resolution between Robson and the city and Maple Ridge was resolved at a closed council meeting in August 9th. I can understand why that was closed council, but mayors are getting a lot of power in these small towns and pushing people to play ball or face consequences, and it's dirty. Which, of course, means that it is now your time to hold them to account. Get on the ballot if you, or support your local candidates if you feel like your mayor has too much power. This is a tough election, folks. Like, it, it's, it feels rough. There was a lot of hope last time. I don't feel that this time. I feel bedraggled and a little worn down. And it's depressing and sad and... That's no reason to stop fighting. Fight for a better city, <laughs> not a better city. God damn it. <laughs> Moving on to Vancouverada. We were finishing out in Maple Ridge. I thought we would talk about the old Albion Ferry that served the Fraser River up until the Golden Ears Bridge made it pointless. Yes. So the Albion Ferry was once a part of the Ministry of Highways system of inland ferries that you can still ride on for free in many parts of the province, especially like the Arrow Lakes. If you're going to Needles or Farquhar or Galena Bay. The Albion Ferry served the communities of Fort Langley and Maple Ridge as it crossed the Fraser River there. It operated from June 2nd, 1957 until July 31st, 2009. It started out as a single vessel, the MV to Laguna. That name came from the Hokamalam language, which is actually quite ahead of its time almost to use local names. Actually, scratch that. It was actually quite notable. I appreciate the connection to the indigenous cultures there. They eventually needed to expand the number of ferries because it was a constant backup, and they added the MV Kulit in 1985. Eventually, the MV Klatawa replaced the Telaguna, which was kept on as a spare until 1986. They were both previously short route ferries in the Gulf Islands, the Kulit and the Klatawa. Um, Telaguna was sold for use as a cargo barge and eventually sank in Howe Sound, where it rested until it was salvaged in 2011. TransLink managed to take over the Albion Ferry in 1998 when it was created as the Greater Vancouver Transit Authority. They ran the Fraser River Marine Transport Limited subsidiary company to run it. There was a 50th anniversary celebration in June 2007, and they put up a plaque at the Albion Ferry terminal. 
And yes, it retired shortly after the Golden Ears Bridge was opened in June 2009. These, these ferries carried in 2006 amount about 1.5 million vehicles and 4 million passengers. And eventually, the two ferries were sold in 2011 for $400,000 to a local marine transportation company, bringing to an end the long and storied history of the Albion Ferry. Yeah. Remember the ferries when you take the Golden Ears Bridge the next time you're driving there. Golden Ears, by the way. Some interesting thoughts on why they are named Golden Ears. These are referring to the mountains that you can see from the area. Some people think it's because they look like cat's ears that are golden at sunset. Other people think it's a corruption of the term Golden Eries, which refers to golden eagles that were seen in the area. Both these names are stupid, and that is all I have to say on the matter. Thank you so much for listening, listeners. We only have 42 days left until the Vancouver municipal elections. It is going to be a hell of a campaign. We are just getting started. Nominations are coming in next week or the week after, and we will be covering all the candidates every step of the way. For Lake and Boot Media, I'm Matthew Naylor. And I'm Ian Bushfield. Good day.